Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to your second No Frills, No Music, No Nonsense bonus episode. Uh, in today's episode, I'm going to play for you Another interview with Nick Crum. This one was done in 2016. It was June of 2016, so about a year after the one that you heard on Tuesday if you listened to that bonus episode. There's not a whole lot of new information in this one. I just want it out there so you all can hear it. Uh, and also, you'll you'll hear that you know between those interviews, uh, at the end of the last one that you heard on Tuesday, the detective mentions the incident with Austin Alba. Uh, Nick is not familiar with it. He's trying to remember. Uh, and then he says, you know, there was the incident at the mall and he says, oh yeah, I do remember that. Um, so it kind of, is kind of jarred some memories loose for him. Uh, he spent some time and you heard, we talked about this in the main episode on Sunday. You know, he spent some time thinking about it and, and, and really reliving those moments. And then it started to come back to him and he remembered these different incidents. Uh, and so then he calls uh, Detective Bodmer in this instance in 2016 and and shares a little bit of new information. For the most part, he's relaying a lot of what he had said before in the first one. Now, after a quick break, I'm going to let you know a few updates that I have just from the work that I've been doing and talking to Nick over the course of this week. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, before I play this 2016 interview, as I mentioned at the beginning of Tuesday's bonus episode, um, I'm, I'm trying to track down and trace down uh, inconsistencies with things that Nick told me and things from the police file and things that he said in these previous interviews. So I got on the phone with him last night and talked to him for about a half hour uh, and cleared a few things up. One, uh, as I mentioned, there was a, the one big issue was the, 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 when he went to the scene. You know, he said he told me in the interview he remembered the police coming to Circuit City. They came in, him and Bo were there. They talked to the police and then they went up to the crime scene and the fire trucks and stuff were still there. Uh, and he didn't get out of the car at the scene. We know from the time cards that Nick was working that Monday. Bo was not. And Nick was working until almost 6 o'clock, I think. So uh, it couldn't have been that morning that that happened. So uh, we discussed it, and, and he said, yeah, man, it was 15 years ago. Maybe I'm, I'm blending memories together. Um, I do know that that incident did happen. It seems like it's kind of... Um, it's kind of vague the way it's written into the police reports, but it seems like it happened on the 28th of September. So about 10 days later is when the police went into Circuit City and spoke with Nick's uh, boss, Craig Bailey, and got his time cards and verified his alibi. Um, or Well, yeah, I guess it verified his alibi, where he was at, but uh, really just verifying where he was at on the night of the murder. He was never really a suspect. Uh, but that didn't happen until 10 days later, or maybe nine days. Again, it's a little... Hard to, it doesn't, it's not super clear in the report. 
Um, so that incident happened. And then I, I asked him, I said, Did you, are you sure you went to the scene and there were still police cars or fire trucks there? And he said, yeah, he's a hundred. He can picture it in his mind, hundred percent certain. Uh, and so then I asked him, you know, was it daylight or dark? And, uh, he said, no, it was definitely daylight. So, cause what, we were, what I was trying to figure out was, is it possible that on, on that Monday after he got off work at six o'clock, did they then go up to the crime scene? Um, because from my experience, there probably were still police and fire trucks there. I do need to check with, and we'll buy the follow-up. I'll know this, uh, tomorrow. Uh, but I, I want to check the dispatch logs and see when everyone cleared. Uh, typically in big fires like this, there could be trucks that'll maintain on scene, especially if there's, um, an investigation going on. Uh, there could be trucks that'll remain, remain on scene for days, even sometimes. And of course, police would be around still for a couple of days, but I thought maybe they went up to the scene that evening after, uh, after he got off work at six, but it would have been dark by the time he got there or very close to dark. So, um, that leads me to believe looking at the time cards, him and Bo were both off on Tuesday morning. So my guess is there was a return to the scene on Tuesday, the 19th. And that's based off of some, you know, his sensory memories of going to the scene. It was daylight. He didn't walk up to the scene, but they were on Alpine Drive, which on the morning of the murder, I don't think you could even get onto Alpine Drive. You had to park a ways away. Uh, but he says, yeah, they were on Alpine Drive, but they didn't, they couldn't go up the driveway. It was still daylight. He, he remembers that happening. So I'm guessing that probably happened on Tuesday. And he mixed those memories up and blent it together with, what happened on the 28th when the police came to Circuit City. Uh, so that's one thing. Another thing was um, whether or not he was interviewed in 2006. As I mentioned, it's very confusing in the police reports. Uh, in some instances, you hear um, uh, the officers say, well, if I talk to Nick Crum again, or it's noted that he was spoken to in 2006 and 2007, actually, uh, and we see nothing in the report. Nick said that he was definitely interviewed. Uh, in my interview, then you heard in, uh, I think the interview that, the interview that played in the bonus episode on Tuesday, we heard Nick say that, uh, well, I guess you guys didn't want to talk to me back then. Um, and so I asked him about that. I said, are you, are you sure you were interviewed? He said, hundred percent. He says zero doubt. He specifically remembers going to the substation. He remembers where it was at. It was on Highway 111. He said, you know, next to, I think it said some kind of a mall, but uh, he very specifically remembers going to the, the, the sheriff's substation, sitting down in an interview room and giving an interview to police. Uh, and he, he's positive that was within some time within that first week or so of the murders uh, or a couple of weeks after the murders. And there seems to be indications in the report that that happened uh, in the case file. But uh, this is, it's, it, this, this is a, a sticky situation. Because there's nothing in that police file that ever shows that he was interviewed. I mean, there's indications that he was interviewed, but the report, nor recording, nor transcript of that interview isn't in the police file. And what we see throughout the police file, and it's actually testified to at trial by, I think, Bodmer, is they had what they called belt recorders. They recorded everything. And in Nick's case, he was interviewed at the police station in an interview room. So they would have all the audio and video recording equipment there. Um, so it's curious one that they say that, uh, that there's no, no, there's no report or transcript or recording of his interview, but then we see in the report, uh, when they interviewed Craig Bailey, his boss at circuit city on the 28th, it says, and again, that, that report, if you look at it, that report wasn't written until January of 2007. 
even though they went and talked to Craig Bailey in September of 2006. When the report was written in 2007, they wrote both uh, Nick Crum and Bo Nash gave alibi statements for Javier Garcia, and it says, during the course of this investigation. Super, it's like the only thing in there that's very vague. There's no information. Uh, and so, again, I went back and I asked Nick if, um, if, he, if there's any chance he would have said he was with Javier that night. And he says, no, absolutely not. He's, he kind of suspected Javier, and, and, and a couple of his friends did, of maybe being involved, not because they had evidence he was, but because they didn't see him that night. They were supposed to see him that night. He didn't show up. Uh, so, it, it, according to him, there is zero chance he would ever have said that he was with Javier that night. Also, we heard Bo Nash's interview, and he explained what he was doing the night before, and he also didn't say he was with Javier that night. And yet in the report, it says that they had both alibied him through the course of the investigation. There is another interview with Bo Nash we're going to get to here in the next couple of weeks, either as a main episode or as a bonus. Uh, I also asked him, people wanted me to ask him about the red truck, uh, Nick Corline's truck, what color the bed was. He said he didn't remember. It was too long ago. He said by his memory, he thought that Corey Donovan was the one who had a red truck. And he said he does remember being a red truck with a different colored bed. But he thought it was Corey's, and then he heard on the podcast that Corey said he had a tan truck. And he's like, I don't know. I, I, I don't trust. He said he didn't trust his memory enough to commit to that, that, that he was sure about that. Um, so he certainly couldn't tell you what color the bed was in Nick Corline's truck. Um, and the rest of the questions you guys had for Nick uh, we'll get to in tomorrow's follow-up episode. Uh, but with all that being said, I'll leave you to it. And this is the interview uh, Nick's last interview with police, which was in June of 2016. Um, at this point, the last interview was between when Robert and Christian had been arrested. They had The charges were dropped. They were released. In 2016, they were arrested again. And that's when this interview took place, after they had been arrested again. Again, there'll be no music or credits or anything after the end. So when it's over, it's over. I uh, just want to throw this out as a bonus episode for those of you that are uh, overachievers and just want to hear everything. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Investigator Bodmer. Hi, I was sir. Uh, I was giving you your number by uh, Bill Nash. Okay. And uh, it's uh, about that uh, triple homicide up in uh, Pinion Pines. Yeah. Yeah, who am I speaking with? So, uh, Nicholas Crum. Nick Crum. Yes, sir. Okay. So um, I was contacted by a, a private investigator uh, a couple months back. Um, I kind of have an issue 
or difficulties kind of communicating with him because I'm in the military and I was you know, out in the field or whatever every time he tried to call. But uh, um, I I noticed that you know Robert Page and Christian Smith got got uh, taken in again. Mm-hmm. I started thinking about it. That that private investigator told me to. Uh, told me to contact the FBI field office in El Paso to kind of give them any information that I had. Mm-hmm. So I just did that this morning, but they told me to get in contact with uh, you know, a local agency that's kind of taking care of your uh, guys again. Right. So that's what I was trying to do. Okay. All right. And you said you were speaking to somebody. I still don't know who you were speaking to, but... Uh, Bo, Bo Nash was the one that gave me your, your uh, number. Okay. And he said that he had talked to you uh, in the past. But he, he had your business card. He just shot me a picture of it so I could get a hold of you. Oh, okay. No problem. So you got a hold of Bo, and then uh, you wanted to give information about the case to, uh, but you said you were speaking with another investigator about a month or two ago? Oh, that is probably a little bit longer than that. But yeah, I can't remember his name, and I didn't—I didn't, I never saved his phone number. But they said it was a, a private investigator, I guess, that the Friedley family had hired. Oh, so a PI uh, from the Friedley family, okay? Yeah, yeah, and he contacted me, and we had been, kind of been in contact back and forth for about a month. But then, you know, I was—I ended up going out to the field to do the training, and and other stuff came up, and I, I just—you know—when I'm out in the field, I don't hardly have any cell phone service because we go out in the middle of the desert. And, play war games for a month, but, uh, but yeah, I was kind of having issues uh, getting a hold of him while I was out there, and then uh, he kind of just kind of fell off. I think he gave up trying to talk to me because I was you know, okay. kind of hard to reach when I was out in the field. You say you're in in the field. What what, what do you mean? Are you uh, are you in the military? Or? Yeah, yeah, I'm in the military. I'm stationed out in uh, uh, Fort Bliss, in El Paso, Texas. Okay, so you're out at Fort Bliss? Yeah. All right. And you were trying to get a hold of this. Do you remember this PI's name? No, I, I don't. Um, I'm sure Bo. I could probably get a hold of Bo, and he, he would know his name. But he told me not to go through that guy. He said basically that uh, there was a bunch of other investigators that were dealing with it that were actual like working with the, the DA's office and stuff. He's like talking to him, not not the PI, because you know. Right. So I, I I don't remember his name though. Okay. Well, did you ever provide a statement to the PI or no? Sounds like he never I got did. I mean, he, he just, no, he, he did, he, he, but he wasn't really providing a statement. He was just kind of asking me questions, and then I was answering, you know, whatever. If I knew, if I knew the answer to his questions, then I'd tell him if not. Right. Okay, how many times did you speak with him? Uh, I'd say probably like three, three or four times. Okay. And uh, you just don't recall when that was. That was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, it was, I'd say probably, uh, actually, now I don't think about it. I've been on, I ended up in the for almost a year now because I had three surgeries. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's been a while. <laughs> so, oh, over a year ago, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so you spoke to him about three, uh, a little over a year ago, and this PI, you just don't remember what his name was. Um, if I gave you a name, would and would you recognize it? Maybe, I don't know. Uh, uh, Bolaños? Um, Tony, uh, Tito Bolaños? Yeah, I, uh, might be him. I, I remember 
I know the last thing I started with a B. I just don't know okay. what it was, but that might be it. Okay. All right, so you're in the military now, still at Fort Bliss and everything. So um, when you were, did you already provide a statement in reference to this case uh, back in 2006? Uh, I believe so. They, I'm pretty sure they pulled me into that, uh, not pulled me into it, but they, they you know, asked me to come in. I, I think it was at that uh, satellite station that they got right there on the 111 in Highway 70 or Monterey right there. That, uh, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's the Palm Desert yeah. Sheriff Station. Yeah, that, yeah, I think that's where I, I get it at. Oh, okay. So you're at the Palm Desert Sheriff's Station? Yeah. And that was in 06, right? Yeah. And then, you know, I, once I started talking to that private investigator, I, I was kind of like, he was asking me questions, and, you know, I didn't enjoy thinking at the time to say anything, and I was like, oh, you know what? Yeah, that did happen. <laughs> yeah, I probably should have said something about that, but I didn't see it at the time, and now I'm kind of like, oh, shit, that... Yeah, yeah. Well, 2006, you spoke to police officers, right? Re like, not a PI, but real police officers. Yeah, I think it was a, uh, it was two detectives. Cause I, what happened was me and Bo, uh, we worked at Circuit City right there in uh, Palm Desert by, by, uh, by the Sports Authority. I, I haven't been home in four years. I don't even know what's over there anymore. But uh, went in that shopping center with the, the Marshalls and TJ Maxx and Soap Locker, all that stuff right there on 111. Yeah. We used to work in that Circuit City right there before it closed. And the day after the the, the homicide, uh, we we were you know we were both working in the computer department, and we saw two police officers kind of come in the front door. Uh, sorry, two detectives come in the front door, and uh, they were talking to whoever at the front desk, and then I saw the front desk guy kind of point back towards us, and we're just kind of sitting there like, what the hell are they pointing at us for? <laughs> like, and uh, so they came back and kind of questioned us there for a little bit, and then they gave us their card and said, you know, and we had you know, some free time to come in and actually give a statement, which, and again, at the time, I don't know how helpful I was, but right. looking back now, I'm kind of... Well, but when you provided your statement back on, uh, did you say it was the day after, but when did you go in and give your statement, if you can remember? Uh, I, honestly, I don't even... Okay. Was it a couple days, one or two, three days, something like that? Uh, I, I, Couple days. I was okay. saying, I, right. I, I don't know. That was ten years ago. I, I, I remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was yeah, just under <laughs> ten years. It's nine years now. Uh, nine years, a few months. Um, so when they did speak to you though, um, and you gave them their sta your statement to them, was that uh, you're being truthful then, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was being truthful just at the time. It wasn't really a, again. It was kind of one. Of, it wasn't really a statement. It was more of a question and answer, kind of Q and A. Mm -hmm. And when I, even when I left there, I was like, I feel like I didn't, that wasn't helpful at all to them. It's okay. So. Sometimes these types of investigations are very complex, and whether or not you provide small details or large details, the important thing is is that when you give your statement that you were truthful and factual in everything that you answered. Yeah. So if they ask you a question yeah. and you gave them an answer, was it truthful? Oh, yeah. Okay. That's all that matters. Yeah, definitely wasn't trying to mislead anybody or do anything. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's the biggest part of that. So I just want to put your mind at ease because you you kind of seemed like you weren't sure if you were being helpful or not. And, yeah. uh, you know, again, like I said, you never know when you are, but the big biggest part is that the truth is the truth is what's most helpful. So yeah. what can I help you with today? Did, did you? Well, I was just kind of, 
when I talked to the FBI, I kind of gave them the whole, it's everything from the day before the, the triple homicide happened mm -hmm. that I can remember all the way to the leadings up until, you know, I pretty much quit hanging out with that group of people, joined the military and, and left, you know. Mm. Um, and I, I know, I, you know, I know that there was some, some stuff in there that might be helpful, you know. Obviously nothing, I don't really, I, Kristen Smith and Robert Pape, I, I used to hang out with them in high school, but I haven't talked to them since high school, so I don't, even at that point in time, I never hung out with them. But the people I did hang out with was, uh, you know, Javier uh, Garcia, uh, his cousin Jacob, and their weirdo roommate, or his, his cousin's weirdo roommate, his name was Austin. Uh, and then Bo and uh, Bo Nash, Alex Fulon, Corey Donovan, all, the, all those guys. We all hung out together. And Becky, you know, she was part, kind of part of the part of the group, one of the guys, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was just, you know, I kind of let them know what was what I what my experience was with the whole situation. Right. And then looking back on it now, kind of like, mm, I, I just, I, I obviously there's evidence implicating Robert Bates and Kristen Smith, or they wouldn't be, you know, mm -hmm. uh, detained right now, but... Uh, Arrested. In our, yeah, in our, in our group of uh, people, it was just kind of like... Just, everybody kind of thought that at the time, we were like, this, we think it's Jacob, or, and Jacob's roommate, or even Javier had something to do with it. And when I, when I talked to the PI, he had said something about, he was like, well, it's that I guess the FBI had taken over at some point in time. No, they've never taken over. Or that they, they he said that they did some kind of investigation or something on their end. I, I don't know. Though, but, mm -hmm. uh, it's okay. But he, he basically said, you know, that Javier wasn't listed as a suspect because they didn't get any pings from his cell phone in that area at the time, which, and again, this is what the PI told me, so I don't know if it's true or not. But when he told me that, I was like, really? That's... <laughs> I mean, if I was going to go murder somebody, I'm not going to take my cell phone with me. That's like, uh, you know? Right. I feel like that shouldn't be a, <laughs> a mm -hmm. right. But uh, basically, I mean, I can tell you the same thing that I told the FBI office, which kind of starts the, the day before, I guess. If okay. that helps, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that. Uh, all, all I would say is that you know, if it, it's you know, I'm, really, what I'm interested in, or what any kind of any you know any detective would be interested in, is firsthand observations, firsthand conversations um, okay. that, that you might know. So if you've got some firsthand information or some firsthand uh, conversations that you didn't relate to the original investigators when you were being truthful and honest um, about that because it was freshest in your memory, right? Um, so, yeah. But if you recall something now, nine years and and. And, and, and a number of months later that uh, you think is pertinent. Sure, I'll take it. Okay. All right. So, uh, well, we can start off with, uh, you know, uh, Javier's relationship with Becky, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and again, it's probably just me talking from what I observed, but Becky was like madly in love with her, right? But she kind of didn't want, didn't want anything to do. She started dating his cousin Jacob, uh, and at the time of the murder, I don't know if they were having relationship issues or if they were in the process of breaking up or had broken up or whatever, but uh, basically what I, uh, so I guess, well, I don't even know where to start. Uh, 
I'll start here. So the the day after uh, everything happened, right? Uh, I guess Bo or Javier called Bo and was like, "Hey, I need you to. I want to go up to Becky's house. You know, you know, burn it down." Uh, and basically say, uh, and he said, uh, I, I want to find something basically to remember her by, whatever. So uh, I wasn't there for that, but I was there a couple of days later when, uh... He said he wanted to go up. Slow down. He said he wanted to go up. This is, and who are you getting this information from? So you're, are you privy to this conversation or is it somebody relaying it to you? No, no, this was, this was so this was, uh, Bo relayed this to me a couple of days after. Okay, so Bo's yeah, telling you what he's, what he, his, but this... And according to Bo, uh, Javier wanted to go up there a day or a couple of days later and find something up there to remember her by. Yeah. Okay. Much. I just want to make sure and, I'm understanding you. Yeah. And then, uh, so then a couple of days after that happened, we were all at a, uh, like a little house party or whatever in, uh, was that an apartment in Palm Desert? I don't remember where the apartment complex was, but we were at this, you know, party, whatever. And, uh, Javier kind of looked like he was like down, depressed, whatever. So I walked over to him. I think, man, you're right. And he was, he, at the time, he had an old, well, it's an old song now, but at the time, it was brand new, one of those sidekicks uh, with the screen flipped out on. And he was looking through pictures of him and Becky on his phone. Right. And, and I, whatever, it's normal. He just lost a friend. <laughs> so, yeah. But as he's scrolling through, he had a picture on there of that charred wheelbarrow. Mm-hmm. That, Supposedly was up at the house. I never went up to the house. I didn't have any reason to. But uh, when I get a picture of it in there, I was like, why do you have that? And there was just a, something to remember Becky by. And I was like, why, why yeah. would you want that to remember her by? Mm-hmm. You know? I think the picture's in your phone of you and her smiling and laughing are enough. Why the hell would you want that? People do strange and things. Then, yeah, I just thought it was really weird right. that he had that. Unfortunately, and, the, uh, from, unfortunately, the wheelbarrow was left up there up there after the crime scene was cleared, and you know there might have been his feeling was, was that it, he had a connection to that. So that's what you're saying, but you think that's weird too, right? Yeah, I just thought it was strange. I mean, you know, most people don't want a keepsake of, of something that someone was no, 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 murdered and not, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, so there was that uh, incident. Then. Uh, Maybe three, four days later, we were at his cousin's house, uh, Jacob. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, sorry, let me go back real quick. Before the, the murders took place, we had gone up to Jacob's house a couple of times. I don't really like Jacob. I think he's a weirdo. Him and his women are they're both weird. They're not my cup of tea. <laughs> I just don't like him. But uh, I used to go hang out with them because the whole group would go to their house. And I was like, well, I don't want to be the odd man out, so I'll go with you guys kind of thing, you know? So uh, his roommate had bought a, a shotgun or whatever, and he was all super stoked to show it to us. And he, you know, he showed it to me one night when we were there. This was before everything happened. And... Uh, that's pretty much all I have to say on the bike track. So he had the shotgun. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And then now, so after that party where we saw the, the cell phone with the picture of the wheelbarrow in it, uh, we were at Jacob's house. Right? And Jacob kind of asked me, he would me to make a two-story apartment over in Palm Desert somewhere. I can't remember where I had, but we were over there, and uh, he had asked me to go down to uh, Javier's car was down there, he drove that Dodge, uh, Dodge Intrepid, and we, we, he asked me if I could help him get something out of the car or whatever, and I was like, yeah, no problem, he, he popped the trunk, but I don't think he meant to pop the trunk, because uh, what he had to get was in the back, the back seat, and I don't even remember what we were getting, but... Uh, when he popped the trunk, I kind of walked over because I saw the trunk pop, and I was like, oh, well, I guess we're getting out of the trunk. And I was like, what? This is weird. There's trash bags, uh, shovel, and two gas cans back there, which I didn't mean that. Looking back on it now, maybe it was something, maybe it wasn't. Who knows? Anyway, you know, maybe he had gas can in case his car ran out of gas. Who knows? But uh, when I asked him about it, I was like, what's this stuff in the trunk of the car, man? And he was just like, oh, don't worry about that, brother, and shut the, shut the trunk, you know? Oh, that was weird. Whatever. So. And that was after. And how long ago was that? That was after. That was, that was probably about a, a week and a half, or you know, probably a week and a half after uh, the incident had happened. And then um, the the weirdest part, the weirdest one though, was was his roommate, uh, Austin. I don't even know what his last name is, but uh, he. So I was at the mall. And I was big with my, with my girlfriend at the time. And we got into a little argument. We were up on the second floor of the mall. Got into an argument. She walked away. Uh, Austin wasn't there with me. I was, it was me and my girlfriend and uh, Alex uh, flew on. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if Bo was there. And I don't think he was. But uh, that Austin kid, I guess he was at the mall at the same time we were. He came walking up and he saw, he'd seen what was going on, I guess. And he was like, they gave me to take care of her for you, and I was like, what? And he was like, you remember what happened to the last dish that pissed me off? And I, mm-hmm. I didn't even think to, to I mean, this was about two weeks after, you know, and I just, I didn't even, I just kind of, oh, oh yeah, whatever, dude. Mm-hmm. And now looking back at it, I'm like, oh, my God, what a psychopath. Like, and then Jacob, from what I, from what I was saying here, this is, I don't have any proof of it, but from what I was told, he, he, he changed his name, which is strange to me. Why would you change your name after a murder investigation? She had nothing to do with it. Right. But, uh, but that was, uh, and another weird point, too. We were up at uh, Corey Donovan's house, uh, which also was his parents' house, because um, they lived up in Pinion Pines as well. It was probably about a mile away from, from Becky's house. We were all up there, uh, you know, having a little party or whatever. And Javier was on his way up, and then uh, he totaled his car on the way up, and now he doesn't have his car anymore. It just seems, oh, there's a murder investigation going on. I'm going to total my car just to get rid of it. It, seemed, it just seemed maybe that wasn't his intent. I don't know, but I think that's what it came across like. Because he crashed it into a tree, 
outside, of, like down the street from Corey's house. The gym was a dirt road, but it's not. It's not a, a curvy, and a curvy road. It's a straight road going up there. Right. I don't know how you lose control on a straight road and going to a tree. But I mean that. Uh, and that's pretty much what I told the FBI. And I, if I, I mean, if I could think of any more details, I, I mean, I'd be willing to give you guys a call. Or, mm-hmm. but I was just kind of thinking about it, and I was like, man, I don't, I, I, I didn't really give that great of a statement when I talked to the police nine years ago, because <laughs> I didn't really know what to say. Well, you just need to answer the questions, to be honest with you, Mr. Yeah. Crumb. Uh, when, the, yeah. when the police ask you a question, they, they know where they're going in the investigation, and they'll ask you a question. And, and, and your responses, again, I ask you, were truthful and honest, and to the best of your recollection at that time. So, um, and, and generally, you know, I've been involved in this type of uh, uh, business for many, many years. I know that, uh, the, that most people's statements are freshest uh, um, immediately following the incident. We all like to, in the end, and, and a lot of times that information can be helpful for us, the type of stuff you're talking about, uh, we try to uh, put, put the dots together. Uh, we try to interconnect uh, things that may have a connection uh, or we feel have a connection. And, and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. So, uh, you know, I, from what I can tell from what you're telling me, I've read a very similar to report to when you spoke to investigators uh, not too long ago. That's very familiar with, uh, uh, with that same type of information. So, um, but I, I do appreciate your, uh, your concern and I appreciate you calling in. Is there, is there anything else? And again, I ask, is there any kind of firsthand knowledge that you have at all? Or did anybody make any confessions to you or say that they were actually involved in something? No, no, nobody made any confessions or anything like that. But mm-hmm. I just thought it was weird that you know Javier soon after the that all happened that he kind of moved away. Yeah. And I did think it was weird too. I guess uh, isn't his dad like the captain or something of a police department down there? And no, he's not. He's he's an investigator, but uh, no, he's uh, not a he's not a captain. No. Yes, a lot of people here. Right. I didn't know. You know no, I he's a, he's an investigator. And uh, and uh, but um, yeah, none of that really comes into play um, with the investigation in, in, in its entirety. Uh, but uh, there has been a con- uh, an underlying theme amongst some folks there, especially because you gave me the names of all the people in your group, um, is that uh, one, uh, the PI has contacted you, and then two, um, two, uh, there's a belief that Javier was not cooperative in the investigation. And um, I don't have a problem letting you know that uh, Javier has always been and, and continues to be 100% cooperative in the investigation. <laughs> provided multiple statements uh, as, in regards to his whereabouts and provided his cell phone records and so forth. But, um, but you know, so I just want to let you guys know that because some of you guys that I've gone back and spoken to, so I didn't know that. So, um, but. Yeah, I know that he had been, I know that he was given statements and stuff. I just, you know, it, 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 at the time, and it could be, you know, people handle grief in a different way. He was just yeah. acting really strange after
he, he would go up to the house every once in a while. Smoke weed. That's what he told us that he would do. Smoke weed. <laughs> that, uh, was a, that, that was a predominant thing that everyone was doing back then. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of gave that up when I joined the military. So yeah, I hear you. Anyway, so if I needed to get in contact with you, what's uh, your what, what's your unit name? Uh, I'm in uh, Alpha Company, 40th Engineer Battalion, and that's a part of uh, 2nd Brigade, 1st Armored Division. And I am in uh, 1st Battalion. Oh, okay. All right. And my, if you need my, uh, my uh, platoon sergeant's name is Sergeant First Class Lee, and then I'm Sergeant Crown. Okay. All right. So you gonna make a career out of this thing or what? No, I'm actually out. I'm out in uh, three months. So. So three uh, months. Good. Yeah, I got I got blown up twice in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. First, once my first tour, and once my second tour, and I got two herniated discs in my back. And, some nerve damage to my elbow. Mm -hmm. I've had a couple surgeries, and you know, I, yeah. I think I've just done some. It's time for me to. I've used up too many of my nine lives, and you know, it's time for me to find a new career path. Right. So, well, hopefully it works out for you. Yeah, I looked into doing police when I get out, but I got this stupid petty theft on my record. I don't know if that would uh, hinder my right. chances of being in the police force or not, but. Well, so. get out, give it a shot. Yeah. Uh, all right, sir. Well, Thank if you. If I can take you to anything else, I'd like to. Yeah, you've got my number. I'll give you a card, so I'll, yeah. I'll give you a call if I can take you to anything else. Also. All righty. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, sir. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was a conversation with Nick Crum. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.